I could uh, get your attention, we'll, we'll get started. Before I forget, uh, you might want to make a note, write yourself a note. Uh, we'll probably be sending out an email as well, but uh, next Monday we'll be down in the fellowship hall. Most of you have been there before. Uh, if you haven't, tell the people next to you where it is <laughs> or ask them where it is, I mean. Uh, but it's, it's uh, downstairs. We, instead of you know, coming up the elevator, you go into the church on that, that uh, P1 parking is one way to get to it, and it's down there somewhere. <laughs> Sir? Yes, there'll be, there'll be lunch. Down there. Lunch down there. And uh, it'll be good, I can tell, I promise you, <laughs> to make up for it. <laughs> All right? So we're studying the parables of Christ, the, the parables of Christ. And after today, we've got three more lessons. Our last lesson is on April 14th, if you're keeping track. So three more lessons after today. Uh, and hopefully you've been uh, doing the questions and so you, you've got the information down before you even get here, right? And I'm just adding to it or, or clarifying it or something like that. If you're not, uh, start because it's, it's really um, it's a good exercise for you and it helps me. Uh, the questions should, for next week should be on your table there. Uh, today, the, the parable you can find is in Luke chapter 12. <clears throat> it's the parable of the rich fool. That's, that's an interesting uh, thought, isn't it? The rich fool. <laughs> we normally think of uh, rich people as being pretty smart. But uh, Jesus calls this guy a fool. So uh, when I think of the rich fool, when I think of uh, the world's love of money and how people get too carried away with it, I can't help but remember that great scene from the Jerry Maguire movie uh, where the, with, uh, you know, Tom Cruise and the athlete. And, you know, it's so funny because it's so true. I mean, everybody, that's kind of a mantra for everybody that you do business with or show me the money, you know, what can I do for you? And in today's parable, that's exactly what provokes the parable. The guy basically says, uh, Jesus Show me the money. Jesus, get my brother to give me the money. Right? I mean, that's all he can think of. He's obsessed with it. And so that's what I thought, thought about when I thought of this parable. And this guy, the other thing I thought about, this guy's like a yuppie. You know, that, that uh, name we put on the young, upwardly mobile, super ambitious guy. I saw the yuppie's prayer. Maybe you've heard this before. The yuppie's prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my Cuisinart to keep. I pray my stocks are on the rise and that my analyst is wise. That all the wine I drink is white and that my hot tub is watertight. I pray that, a, that racquetball won't get too tough, that all my sushi is fresh enough. I pray my cell phone always works, that my job won't lose its perks. My, rock, my microwave won't radiate. My condo won't depreciate. I pray my health club doesn't close and that my money market grows. If I go broke before I, I, 
I wake, I pray my BMW they won't take. <laughs> it kind of tells you where that guy is, right? And so in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 11, the, the previous um, teaching of Jesus, in Luke chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12, Jesus was preaching about really deep spiritual things, very important things like hypocrisy and faith and forgiveness and eternal life and the grace of God. But the yuppie comes up, and in the, he's, he's in the crowd listening, but he really doesn't hear anything Jesus says. He doesn't hear anything. And I think that's the way human beings can be now. Uh, any of us can fall into this. We can be so obsessed with something that's on our mind that we don't hear any of the important stuff. So even though Jesus has been saying all this stuff, this guy doesn't hear a word of it. He had a problem that distracted him, that he needed help with. And so he couldn't think of anything else, this guy in the crowd. And since Jesus was an authority figure and, and probably the guy's brother was following Jesus, uh, and he figured maybe Jesus can do something, accomplish something with my brother that I can't. So here's this guy in the crowd after Jesus has been talk, talking about all this really important stuff, and he yells out, Teacher, get my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You know, show me the money is all he cared about. And Jesus answered him in a way that, you know, that we would hope he would, which was to say, am I the one? That, did I come as an arbiter of these kind of petty disputes? What am I, a probate judge for wills or something? Come on. Uh, am I here to help people get rich? Is that what this is about, to settle family squabbles? Um, no. Jesus quashed anything. Uh, that this guy wanted or, or that any, any of that kind of petty stuff in Jesus' mind. Uh, that's not why I came. That's not why I came. And then he told a parable illustrating the danger of every form of greed. The man thought his problem was, was with his brother. Jesus is going to reveal that in, in the parable that the real problem this guy had was his obsession with money. The greed, the love, the lust for it is where this guy really had a problem. Um, people put, put the, tend to put the, the really important things like Jesus was teaching, they tend to put that off. I've, I've actually had people uh, tell me many times that things like, well, you know, as soon as I get my business affairs in order, then I'm going to start uh, going to Bible study, going to church or what have you, or I'm going to get involved in this stuff. Uh, I, I, I still got plenty of time to do that, you know, or they might say, you know, once my kids, once I get them all out of the house and off to school, then I'll have more time, you know, to do the, the church deal or whatever. Uh, and they think they can just keep putting these, these important decisions off forever. And, and so, you know, I saw this, uh, I think it was in that deal that C.S. Lewis wrote about the demons. Anybody ever read that? And one of the stories is about the apprentice demons. There's three apprentice demons who were strategizing how to corrupt people. And the first demon says, I will tell everyone there is no God. And Satan says, that won't work. 
in their hearts, they know there's a God. And so the next demon said, I will tell them there's no hell. And Satan says, that won't work because they know there's going to be a judgment day. There'll be an accounting. And so the third one, the third demon says, I will tell them there is no hurry. And Satan says, yeah, go and tell them that and you will ruin them all. <laughs> the great strategy. Just tell them they can just put this off. They can do that later, you know. And then like the guy in the story, all of a sudden, you find out your life is not your own, your time's not your own, and then you're gone, right? It happens suddenly. It's unexpected when it happens. And so Jesus was telling the guy, now you need to be concerned with what's important, not later. So the man is going to be called a fool by Jesus. He's going to be called a fool. And let's face it, at one time or another, we're, we're, we've all become fools about money. I mean, there's just something about it that makes fools of us all from time to time, and we can't help it. It's just so important to the human race that it's that's really beyond belief because, I mean, it's just a commodity. It's just, you know, what is it, paper, part paper and part cotton and some printing, you know, and this little dollar bill, and it's like we have most of the human race worships it. It's really an incredible phenomenon when you think about it. Uh, and based on what Jesus says in the parable, you, you, you can ask, well, how do you become a fool for for about money or for money. Is there something wrong with money? They want to blame it on the money. And the answer is no. Is money evil? No, not at all. Does it conspire against us? No, it's just an inanimate object. It's not the money. It's us. It's what's in us. It's the desire and the lust and the greed. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul writes, it's, it's not the money that's bad, it's the love of money. That's what corrupts people, is the love of it. And, of course, that breaks the first commandment and the Ten Commandments that Moses gave, you know, that says, you shall have no other gods before me. But that's exactly what the love of money is. All your devotion, all your thought, all your life, all your time is devoted to that. And so it becomes your idol. So it's the misuse of money, it's the love of money that makes us a fool. And to be a fool in God's eyes is to totally miss the point of life. Totally miss the point of life. And so the person God calls a fool, we may call a success. If you look at this guy in the parable, he looks like a pretty smart guy. He's very successful, he's very smart, everything he does is, is something that we would normally admire. So... Jesus calling him a fool is kind of a surprise in a sense. Most people would envy this guy. Can you imagine having the, all the stuff this guy had? He's got so much stuff, he can't store it. How would you like to have the bank call you and say, you've got so much money here, we can't store it. You've got to take some away. You know, <laughs> that'd be a great problem, right? We all want that problem. Yet, for this guy, it made him a fool. And it'll make us a fool, too, if we let it. So when you analyze the guy in the story, he's successful in business. He's wise in planning. He saved his money. He stored it. He had the inventory, uh, waiting for the best price you can get, you know, probably. 
and so you would think he was a smart guy, but a fool to God is about spiritual discernment, not about his financial planning. Spiritual discernment is what the guy really needed. Uh, he makes choices as if God doesn't exist, if he's not even involved, if, as if God's not even in control. And, of course, most people do. Uh, and he's a fool because he invested only in what is passing away and nothing in what is eternal. And, of course, in the end of the uh, story, death strips him bare and reveals the truth. And Paul, in, in Romans 8, 5 through 8, says that the, the danger of, of being obsessed with the wrong thing. He says, those who are according to the flesh, who live according to the flesh and let their fleshly desires run their life, set their minds, they have a mindset, a perspective, a way of thinking, totally on the things of the flesh, like money. But those who are according to the Spirit, the Spirit of God, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So you have a different, you have a spiritual mindset, right? And here's the deal. The mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. If you love the stuff in the world, and therefore you're, you're going to actually be hostile to God. You're opposed to God when you, when you do that. And Paul says, for they do not subject themselves to God. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So Jesus calls them a fool, just like the, the yuppie here. And so what was this guy's problem or any fool's problem? He measured his value, his security, based on his possessions. That's what it was all about to him. If I can just get this much, just get my warehouses full, I got it made. Everything's going to work. No more problems, right? If you see in the, in the parable, the guy, the, the rich farmer, uses I, I'm going to do this, I'm going to think, I'm going to plan, I'm going to have. He uses that or the word my, this is my barns, my crop, my. He uses that 11 times in these short little three verses. So it pretty much tells you where his problem is. It's all about me. It, he's totally selfish. He thinks he owns everything. I don't think so. And so I, I remember what, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, have you, ever, have you ever looked at that? Solomon is a good one to talk about it because he's the richest guy that ever lived. He's richer than Bill Gates and, and the rest of them combined. He had it all. Solomon wrote later in his life after he'd made it all in, in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he says, you should enjoy, God gives you your wealth, God gives you the money you have to enjoy, and you should enjoy it. So there's nothing wrong with money, but the problem is, when you, is, again, when you make it your God, when that becomes the point of life for you, then Solomon says as well, you're a fool. So the difference between Solomon saying, enjoy your wealth, make as much money as you can, enjoy it, it's a, it's a blessing from God, is that Solomon did not worship the money. He didn't love it. He saw it as a blessing for God to be used for God. And so you're probably aware Solomon built the temple, you know, and spent a, a fortune, uh, not only of Israel's money, but his, his own. 
And so there's a huge difference between enjoying what you believe God has given you versus worshiping the money itself and basing your life on it and your eternal security as well on it. So uh, if you look at the parable now, look at Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Again, after Jesus had been teaching all this awesome, great stuff that everybody needs to know and they should have been listening to and absorbing, it says, verse 13, And someone in the crowd yelled out to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Show me the money. And Jesus corrects him right off the bat. He says to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter? Over you Now, Jesus is not saying that he's not going to judge the human race. He is. But he's talking about in these petty squabbles and inheritance issues, who appointed, why would Jesus get involved in that kind of petty stuff? He doesn't really care. And this story is an interesting thing that all uh, Jews in the first century would be very aware of. All the stories, all the parables that Jesus told were about things that they understood that they were aware of, that would be very common to them. And in the first century Israel, family inheritance well, was very important. Because if you remember when they came into the land, way back during the time of Joshua, when they, when they came into the land, what happened after they conquered it? They divided the land up into tribes, parcels of land for each tribe. And then that tribes divided it amongst the different families. Okay, so now everybody's got their own piece of land. And Moses, not Moses, Joshua told them, hey, this is yours. God says this is yours forever. Forever. And so it'll be passed down in that family forever. And, and if you're like me, you're thinking, well, wait a minute. What if you have to sell it? Or what if you borrow money on it and it gets foreclosed or any number of things? Well, God made a provision for that too. On the 50th year, every 50 years, it would always go back to the owner. How would that affect your real estate business? <laughs> or your banking. Think of how your bank would have to operate. They'd have to, you know, make account of that. So my point is that the family land, the family property, remained the family land and the family business forever. And so the inheritance, you know, where, where it went was all important. Because whoever became the head of the family, the patriarch, was going was gonna to control the funds that that property made, the farm in this case made. And the older brother would typically be the one that became the head of the family and the owner of the business and the disperser of everything that was made. And so naturally, this guy being the younger brother is saying, tell my older brother to give me more money. Right? He's the, got in control of the estate, the inheritance, and I'm subject to him, but I need somebody to help me with this guy. I'm not getting enough money. And that's what he's asking Jesus to do, to, to intervene and tell this brother to give him more money. And so, I mean, I, I immediately thought, gee, I wonder if very many people try to manipulate Jesus for their own gain. <laughs> you think that could happen? You, when you're thinking about yourself and your own selfishness, basically say, what can Jesus do for me? You know? 
And of course, you're probably all aware, maybe you've done this. You go to Bible studies because there's a bunch of people there that you can sell life insurance to. Or, <laughs> or, you know, I've actually had that before. I had a guy call me, said he wanted to come meet with me. And he'd been to the Bible study three or four times. And I thought, oh, great. He wants to talk about what I taught last week. This is great. And so <laughs> I meet up with this guy for lunch. And he's got, he's telling me in life insurance. <laughs> and he, and I said, I'm not interested in that. And he said, well, would you mind giving me the roster of the class? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mind. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so don't be afraid that I'm going to give all y'all up to the insurance guy. No. But it's funny how people do that. You know, they, they think uh, God's there to serve them. They think Jesus is, you know, whatever I need at the time. That's, that's who he is and that's what he's about. That's why God exists, to help me, right, and get me what I want. But Jesus corrects that pretty quick. Uh, <laughs> and it's funny that Jesus has been teaching about hypocrisy and justice and all these things, and this guy sees uh, his brother probably, he probably sees his brother as a hypocrite and thinks justice would be for him to get more money. So the, people's thinking becomes warped by the love of money. And so Jesus said, who appointed me a probate judge or an arbiter over you and your brother? And instead of doing what the guy asked, he told a story to explain the problem here, the problem that they got, the guy had. Because I think everybody in the human race, to a certain degree, has this problem with money. It's it's very controlling effect on us. And so Jesus said in verse 15, beware. In other words, there's danger here for everybody, all, everybody in the audience, including us. There's a danger. We need to be aware of this in verse 15. Beware and be on your guard. Be careful. Make sure you're not falling into this trap. Be on guard against every form of greed. And, of course, what is that? It's the lust. It's the desire for something. You know, I must have it. Base your life on it, you know, and you just do anything you have to do to get it. Uh, remember the, you know, the other movie clip I was thinking about showing was from Wall Street. Remember Gordon Gecko? I mean, was that a great speech when he got up in front of that board of directors and the stockholders and he said, greed is good. America is built on greed, you know. I just made your skin crawl, you know. But it was so true uh, in corporate America especially, Wall Street especially. And so Jesus says, beware, watch out. And I like the way he ends this. He says, because even when one has an abundance, his life does not consist of his possessions. That's, what not, that's not what life's about is what he's saying. So, of course, that begs the question is, well, what is life about? <laughs> it would be the next question you should look at. What does life consist of? If it doesn't consist of the stuff and our property and, and uh, our business, you know, and all that, what does it consist of? What, what is important? And so I think the, the uh, parable is going to reveal that just through this, this real, natural, normal story that they will understand 
to illustrate this spiritual truth that they, that they don't understand, right? And so he says, uh, verse 16, he told them a parable that would illustrate what he meant about beware of the greed and everything that comes with it. He says, the land of a certain rich man was very productive. Now, that's interesting right off the bat because this is a story about a rich man who's already rich, who's going to get richer. Because you think, well, God, if the guy's already that rich, surely the next fortune that he makes he'll do something right with, right? He'll use it for to help other people or to do something good for God or whatever. So the land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? So he, had an, he was a really good farmer, and his land was productive, and he had a bumper crop, so much so that he couldn't get it all in the storehouses. And so he started reasoning and planning. Again, this, sounds, this guy is very successful. He's a success. He's good at what he does. And he's a long-range planner. He's going to build these extra warehouses to store this all so that he'll have it when the price goes up. He can sell it for the best price probably. And so from the outset, it kind of looks like the guy's a smart, successful guy. But Jesus is going to bring us back down to earth and help us understand our own problems while we see this guy as, as a successful, great guy as opposed to God's view of this guy. Those are two different things. God's going to have a different view of humanity than we do. Very much different than, than we do, okay? Uh, you know, you talk about the success in farming. I remember about, I spent about five years as a farmer, believe it or not. Well, I had a farm. <laughs> and we planted wheat. And this farmer told me, because I said, well, how much, you know, yield are we going to get and how much are we going to make and all that? And the guy says, well, you know, farming's a funny thing. Uh, we don't make the seed. We don't make the seed. We just plant it. But we can't make it grow. We have no control over the seasons, no control over the weather, no control over the insects, the viruses. And we got to wait and hope for rain at just the right time. But not too much rain. And yet when we finally receive the crop, finally make a crop and harvest it, we call it ours. <laughs> There's a lot of wisdom in that, isn't there? We do the same thing in our business, our occupation, you know. We, we don't have near as much control over all these things as we would like to think we do, right? And so the truth is, it's God owns everything. He created everything. And he's control of everything. So everything you have is really, whether you have a little or a lot, is all a blessing from God. And so instead of seeing it as yours, or instead of this farmer seeing it as mine, as he keeps saying, what is it? It's a responsibility. It's a stewardship that God gives you. If God has given us wealth, he sees it, his view, is that it's a stewardship. Our view is what? Our view is... This is my money to buy with whatever I want. You know, I've had this dream house or dream vacation house, and that's all good too. But really, God's view is a little different than that. He's saying, let's see what this guy 
does with his money, this girl does with their money, right? Let's see if they have any regard for the Lord or if they're involved in any way in the Lord's work. You know, how, how are you using your money is a stewardship that God has given us. And a part of our reason for living is to represent him, even with what he's given us, okay? And so that, that's what Jesus is trying to impress in this story uh, to his audience there and to us as well. We, we all need to hear this. And so he goes on. The guy asked himself, reasons to himself, he's thinking this out, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, this is what I will do. Here's my plan. I will tear down my old barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. I'll have it all hoarded up. Yes, more and more. You know, you can hear this guy thinking, right? And he says, I will say to my soul. The guy's reasoning to himself. He's not reasoning with God. I will say to my soul, myself, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. And so you're hoping he'll say, I can give to the poor. I can, do, I can help the church. No. Here's what he says. Now I can take it easy. I can eat, drink, and party. You know? And so, that, you know, he's got completely wrong view about what God expects him to do with what God has blessed him with. And so verse 20, and he also makes it sound like he's going to live forever, doesn't he? This guy sounds like he's going to live, he thinks he's going to live forever, which, you know, that's, that's kind of an interesting concept of human race. Have you noticed the denial of death? We all live like, I live like, we all live like we're not going to die. We kind of put that off and don't think about it. That's way down the road, you know, as if we had control over it. And then what happens to a lot of people, and you, and you know people, relatives, friends that this happened to, they're just living their life 90 to nothing, and then they, some, uh, you know, their annual physical comes back, and then the guy says, you got six months to live. All of a sudden, their thinking changes completely. Have you had this experience? Now all of a sudden, all the stuff that they had held so important and so dear is not important at all. They don't care about stuff anymore. Right? Now I can, all they can think of is their family and their friends and what they're going to do for the next six months. You know, that'll really be important that they really need to do. And so they're, they're thinking they get a spiritual perspective instead of a materialistic perspective and that's what Jesus I think was teaching his disciples that's what he really wanted us to do is to live with anticipation live with an urgency that we're just here for a short while and God's given us these gifts and and the wealth and he expects us to use it as a as a good and wise steward and so uh, the guy thinks he, he's got it made. When I was thinking about this guy in the parable, I was thinking of that, uh, that poem. I'm sure you, you've heard it a million times. You may not have known what the name of it is. Invictus. And that, that great poem, Invictus, 
written by William Ernest Henley back in the 19th century. I first saw this in uh, high school, high school English. And when I read it, something just welled up inside of me. And I went, yes, that's it. You know, that will be my mantra. You know, and you, let me read the poem to you. You'll know what I'm talking about. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That's really inspiring to the human race. And when I, like I said, I first read that, I went, yes! I am, you know. But what is Jesus saying? No, get real, man. You, got, you can't control anything. Are you serious? And probably when this guy wrote this, God was probably just up there having a good laugh. Just, <laughs> you know. Because, I mean, just think about this. He made these people. He made this guy. And by the way, how'd that work out for this guy? No, well, he's dead and things didn't go too well, you know. He ain't master of nothing. Captain of a dinghy or something, you know. <laughs> I don't know. But it's just, you know, it's amazing what, uh, what that pride that wells up in us that, that wants these things to be true. And so verse 20 after the guy said, now I got it made. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry forever and party hard. This is awesome. My security. In verse 20, Jesus says, but God said, but God said to him, you fool. So this guy's a fool in God's eyes. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? All that you have is going to be left behind. Who's going to get it? What difference does it make? You're out of here, is what God says. I'm taking you out. And so Jesus says the moral of the story, so is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It's not rich toward God. That's what it's all about. We said before, well, why did Jesus come and what, what does life consist of? That's, that's what it's about, that we be rich toward God. And the Bible talks a lot about spiritual riches, just a, a couple of passages. In John 15, uh, Jesus gave the parable of the vine and the branches, and he said, you should abide in me and I in you, and you'll be able to do everything. But apart from me, you can do nothing. That kind of sums it up. You want to be rich? Abide in Christ, and he will abide in you, and everything you do will be successful. But apart from him, nothing. Nothing. Uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8 9, I love this passage. He says, Jesus, who was rich in heaven, he was spiritually rich in heaven, became poor. In other words, he took on the flesh and came down to this cesspool we call earth and he became poor why so that we who are poor could become rich so by having 
that atoning work of Christ on the cross, having him as our Savior, we become spiritually rich. That's what we need. And in 1 Timothy 6, 6, the author writes, Godliness is a means of great gain. So be rich in your relationship with God and rich in good works. And that's what Jesus is telling this guy life is really about. That, that's why he's here. That's what God expects of, of him. And that's how to be actually rich, eternally rich. So what was this guy's problem? Let me just outline a few uh, problems the guy had, the mistakes he made. He mistook his time for eternity. In other words, this is my time, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to last a long time. But the, the truth is, he didn't want to in control of that. We're short-lived, and we have no control over how long we'll be here or be able to enjoy all that stuff that he thought he was going to enjoy. Second of all, he mistook his body for his soul. Remember he said to himself, and called himself soul. He mistook his body for his soul. He thought his soul was related to eating, drinking, and partying. And it's not. Thirdly, he mistook what was his for what was God's. My money, my land, my crops, my warehouses. And Jesus corrected that. The guy thought he owned stuff, and Jesus said no. You just get to borrow it. You just get to use it. It's a stewardship from God. Did you create it? No, God created all this, everything that we enjoy. And so uh, the man had no real planning, real planning being eternal planning. He was short run only. And God says, make your, short, your planning eternal. Make it spiritual. Make it last forever. And have that be rich toward God that he talks about in verse 21. Make provision for eternity. And this guy made no provision for eternity, on the other hand. So a man's life, what does it consist of? A man's life is the quality of his relationship with God. God is not concerned necessarily with how much money. He may give you a lot or a little. Who knows? And you say, well, yeah, but we've all got different talents, and I'm smarter than those guys, and I deserve it. Who made you smart? <laughs> Did you do it? No, you're like that farmer that said, I didn't make the grain. I didn't make the seed. I just planted. God made you, see, and then you just go with your life. So that's what it's all about. Three mistakes the guy made. If life is defined by time, if, and that's, what, that's basically what he said. This is my time. Longevity is not a guarantee. If life is defined by one's body, he says, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry, then your ability, your strength, and your beauty, it's all fleeting. Everything the guy, the guy thought he had, it's all fleeting. It's all fleeting. And if life is defined by possessions, which he thought, ownership is not an option. They're not yours. So, in conclusion, the Bible is full. I started looking up, you know, in the concordance deal, fools. And it's full of passages about fools. Let me give you a few. Psalm 14.1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
In other words, an atheist is a fool, obviously. Proverbs 1.7, fools despise the wisdom of God. They want to do things their own way. Proverbs 12.15, the way of a fool is greed and is right only in his own eyes. Gordon Gecko, right? He was right in his own eyes, but God said, you're a fool. Proverbs 14.9, fools mock at sin. I mean, they think it's funny. And then Romans 1.22, Paul's talking about, you know, what happened to the world? Why is the world so upside down and so crazy? He says, because people, knowing who God is, having an inherent knowledge of God, instead they go their own way. And professing to be wise, they became fools, denying God and making up their own belief system, which is, you know, the world's full of that, right? And so here's, here's the good one. And, of course, in our parable, you know, Jesus said, You fool, this night your soul shall be required. And here's the good, good one says, Be a fool for Christ. Paul says it, 1 Corinthians, he said, You know, the world looks at Christians, it looks at people who live for Christ as fools. And so he says, Go ahead on. Be a fool for Christ. Continue to follow him. The stuff that the world thinks is foolish, you go with it because God sees it as wisdom and brilliance, okay? I, I read another deal. A guy was talking about the fool's disease, called it affluenza, you know, for, <laughs> uh, for affluence, you know. So it's, it's uh, characterized, the symptoms are a deep desire to be rich in worldly things, a terrible disease, and only God has the cure. For affluenza. Of course, Jesus said it, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Remember the old MasterCard commercial? You know, to have the guy, you can, this, this costs this much and this costs this much. You know, like lunch will cost you $12, visit to the doctor, at least $100, a new car over $20,000, a gallon of milk, $4, but eternal life in heaven is priceless, Right? It's priceless. You can't buy it. Only God can give it. And this, this credit card, this MasterCard, there's no finance charges. There's no payments due. There's no expiration. And members get unlimited grace, unlimited love, forgiveness, joy, peace, eternal life. And what are the qualifications? How do you get this card? Only humble sinners qualify. How about that? The self-righteous, the you know, people that are in love with themselves, they don't even qualify. Only the humble sinners, only believers that have the faith in Jesus qualify. And here's the deal. You got to apply soon. <laughs> don't wait. And what do they end those commercials with? Don't leave earth without it. Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for blessing us with these wonderful stories that Jesus told, how powerful they are. And I just pray that you'd uh, con con just convict us in our hearts of the truth of this. And may we go out to try to be rich in Christ and not uh, fools 
in God's eyes. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.